Hello again, everyone, and welcome to your Christadelphian Library. I'm Brother Jacob Osborne, and I'll be bringing you today's episode, during which we get to discuss the book, Divine Worship in the Age to Come. I'm really excited to share with you a little bit about today's book, because it's all about the wonderful things that, God willing, you and I will get to share a part of in the age to come. This book lays out quite clearly the fascinating events that follow the return of Christ, and this builds a clear vision as well as great excitement in the reader who desires to be a part of these amazing and wonderful events. So by way of a little bit of information on the book, it's broken down into two fairly different sections. Section one is titled The Divine Worship and has the following uh, set sections or chapters within it. The first is the nation subdued, then the land prepared, the temple established, forms of worship, priesthood in the age to come, sacrifice in the kingdom, and a transformed territory. The content in this first section of the book, uh, it's actually a combination of the work of a couple different brethren. Within each chapter, there are a few paragraphs from each of these contributing authors. Now, many of these paragraphs, uh, they're actually short extracts of from different books written by these different contributing authors. Uh, for example, there are sections from the book Faith in the Last Days in here. There's a lot of uh, content from Elpis Israel and Eureka by Brother John Thomas. Uh, other sections in these chapters are by Brother H.P. Mansfield. And uh, I believe there's a couple others as well. Uh, but as you can no doubt uh, pick up on from these chapter titles, the information here is has all to do with the events around the Kingdom Age. It goes through in sequential order, describing and elaborating on the different happenings which will take place. Section 2 is titled A House of Prayer, with content, as you might have expected, on the temple. Uh, this second section of the book is the writing of Brother Henry Solly, and is actually a very condensed version of a much longer book which he wrote called uh, A House of Prayer for All People. This portion of the book is a wonderful source of information uh, on how to interpret the different descriptions of what the temple should look like in the age to come. Uh, as many of you have probably found as well, when reading through uh, the different chapters in Ezekiel, which they describe the dimensions uh, of all the different features, the gates, the steps, the pillars, the porches, and all the other small details in the temple, it can be very difficult to actually come away with uh, a good picture of, of what this temple might look like. Uh, but Brother Sully, uh, in the way that he puts this together, he, he's very well educated, and he uh, gives a very thorough description of the physical appearance, uh, which seems to fit very well. And, and I'll tell you, there is nothing more exciting than being able to picture and do a mental walkthrough in your mind of the building which our lives will be centered around in the kingdom. Brother H.P. wrote in the foreword of the book, the subject of this book is most rewarding. It helps clothe the future with substance. It aids in a better conception of our hope and shows how tangible and real the prophecies are of the word. The world needs a common place, a common center of belief and worship. 
a unifying rally point. The house of prayer for all nations will provide the world with its need. It will also be the consummation of our personal hopes, for it will bring the fulfillment of all desires. I'd like next to just jump uh, back and take the book as a whole, and I want to mention a short point which caught my attention while reading. And the subject of this point is um, what the purpose for animal sacrifices will be in the kingdom age. One might wonder that if animal sacrifices are not necessary now, then what will require them in the future? And this is something which at one point I had wondered about a lot. Uh, and I think this book gives a pretty clear answer to this. Now there's actually two different sections within this book where this topic comes up. The first uh, is in the beginning section in a quote from the book, Faith in the Last Days by Brother John Thomas. And the second is from the second half by Brother Sully. And I'll read both for you. This is under the heading, Why Sacrifice Will Be Revived. The Abrahamic covenant, however, does not exclude the use of sacrifice. It was typically ratified or confirmed by the sacrifice of animals consumed by fire from heaven before the Mosaic law was given. So, when the things a covenant are fully accomplished in the age to come, sacrifice will be restored, not as typical of the future, but as a memorial of the past. Bloodshedding in the age to come will commem commemorate the shedding of the blood of Jesus in the end of the Mosaic age. It will occupy the position in the service that the breaking uh, of the loaf does now to, memor to mortal believers of the truth in the hope of the glory of God. This do in remembrance of me. The broken bread and poured out wine are remembrancers or memorials of the body broken and blood of Jesus shed for the remission of the sins of those who should become his brethren. When he appears a second time, this form of remembrance will cease, for it was to be observed to use his words until I come. Shall we say that when this unbloody memorial of his sacrificial death shall cease by the statute which limits it, there will be no more memorial ordained to keep it in the remembrance through the age to come? If we affirm this, we must reject all that the testimony adduced in the former part of this article which declares the restoration of the sacrifice. Its restoration is certain, and when restored, upon what principle will it exist? Will it represent the sacrifice of a future Christ? That is impossible. Then it will not be typical. Will it be as the procuring cause of the remission of sins of the people living in that age? That would be to ignore the death of Jesus, which is inadmissible. Will it be to render purifying a new covenant? None such exists to be confirmed and dedicated. Will it be for the cleansing of the resurrected saints? For them, there is no more sacrifice for sins, having been by the one offering of Jesus sanctified and perfected forever. It is upon none of these principles. There remains then but one other principle upon which sacrificial bloodshedding can be reinstituted in the age to come. And that is the one already set forth, even as a memorial of the consecration of the Abrahamic covenant by the blood of Jesus, styled the blood of the covenant, by which the future rulers of the world are now sanctified 
and the future nations of that world, Gentile and Jewish, will be made holy through the dedicatory offering of Jesus Christ once. Thus will God have justified the nations through faith, as he promised to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so that then they which be of faith, be they individuals or nations, will be blessed with faithful Abraham. We'll jump now to the second half of the book, where we pick up on this theme or topic again. It will thus be seen that when the temple is erected and Jerusalem becomes a center of universal worship, animal sacrifice as well as offerings will be, present, will be presented therein. That animal sacrifices are entirely abolished because Jesus hath died for the sins of men is a mistaken inference. The question remains, why would such sacrifices be reinstated? While the sacrifice offered under the law did not take away sin, but pointed forward to the sin bearer in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, so in like manner, offerings in the future age will point backwards to that same sin bearer, Jesus. It cannot be denied that if the blood of a bullock or a goat was a suitable means of teaching the children of Israel by type that the promised Messiah would be offered upon the tree, the same means will be equally efficacious to show that Jesus had already died for sin and that neither is there salvation under any other, and there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I really appreciated those sections from the book, uh, and for me that was an answer to a, a long-pondered question. Uh, well, there is a lot more great material within this book, and I would absolutely encourage anyone to read it, because as well as the wealth of knowledge that can be gained, it also creates such a vivid vision, and a burning anticipation for the day when these things will finally come to fruition. And I don't think that we are far, too far away from that age to come. I think it's going to be very, very soon now. So thank you again for tuning in and listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And a reminder, don't forget to tune in next week uh, for another book review.